Welcome back to another episode of the Major Journey Podcast. Today's special guest is a business systems, lean ops, emerging technology, and data expert with a focus in the cannabis industry. Currently at Marymed, he architects and implements Canatech landscapes and systems for a number of licenses spanning each vertical of the cannabis industry. He began as the CEO and co-founder of iRoly, now a wholly owned subsidiary of Marymed. Acquired in 2018, iRoly continues as a B2B wholesaler and manufacturer of innovative smoking accessories and cannabis packaging integrated with streamlined software solutions to maximize customer lifetime value and retention. Without further ado, I'm going to let him get behind the wheel and tell his story. Joe Corey, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And yeah, your kind words, I think they sound familiar, maybe on a link or something. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, man, no, I appreciate it. So yeah, I kind of entered the cannabis industry when I was 18. I just started university in Massachusetts at UMass Amherst. I'd always started little entrepreneurial ventures in high school, ones with, you know, fledgling success, some good, some bad. Um, and we actually started kind of the idea amongst some friends of mine, surf and snowboard a lot. So we were rolling on the back of our phones and the way we started iRolly was sitting there and being like, oh, there's got to be a phone case that could be like a rolling tray. And that idea kind of boomed this whole dive into product manufacturing, which, you know, the biggest thing is knowing your customers. We, were doing, we expanded to, you know, produce our own products, started distributing other similar accessories sort of in the I won't call them tchotchke, but, you know, they're not, <laughs> it wasn't the $500 piece of glass you see at uh, the store, but it was cool little stuff like biodegradable smoking bowls. So we had an audience uh, through, I have a background in sort of software, a lot of it self-taught um, at school, you know, I was able to take advantage of a lot of classes, but we were able to get really good search engine optimization, social media marketing, start getting web traffic. And one of the ways as a startup, you got to just look at, um, I got to turn off that email notification. <laughs> uh, you look at what do I have and how can I monetize it? And that was one of the ways, you know, we produced a product that cash flow is difficult to, you know, piggyback all your own production. You got to buy it before you sell it. Da, 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 da. So we were able to monetize some of the traffic, um, by becoming a marketplace and, you know, opening our traffic up to other similar accessories. We got an audience that's looking for it. It went really well. Uh, and, you know, we were talking to our customers, being a lot of dispensaries, head shops. And this is what, back in 20, like 16, 17. And uh, which, you know, a lot of states were just flipping the recreational switch. So we kind of caught a wave at the right time, but they were getting jabbed by a lot of bigger, uh, CPG company, consumer packaged good companies that were selling them packaging. Um, and, you know, it was repurposed packaging from tea, you know, coffee with these child resistant, you know, certifications and things. Um, and, you know, we were just talking to our customers and a lot of them were saying, look, we got, we're getting shafted here. What can we do in terms of getting better pricing? And do you guys have any connection? And we'd been working, I mean, I glossed over a couple of things, but we'd gone through a startup accelerator. We'd uh, hit some milestones that, you know, got us access to really good factories overseas, um, as well as a lot domestically. We were based out of Springfield, Massachusetts, which used to be a manufacturing hub. You know, that's kind of been the story of the 20th century that's gone away, but there's been a resurgence. 
And, you know, we had great access to vendors here with exclusivities and vendors overseas. So we just kind of hopped full bore into the packaging game. And that was, you know, the big hockey stick catalyst for us as a business. And that's what brought us to sort of the next level and ultimately got the attention of Merriman. That's awesome. So how did you actually end up going from, you know, being the catalyst behind iRoly, getting it into MerryMed, and then now being a part of the MerryMed team. Like, what was that transition like for you? Because I would imagine that going from running everything day to day and like from the moment that alarm clock wakes up and everything is on your mind to now transitioning into kind of like a, a, a day-to-day flow where some of that pressure is alleviated off of you, it must, it must, affect you differently so what like, what was that transition and i mean mike you're in the cannabis industry you know once you once you, you know there's i forget what the saying was it's like you know you can it was like i think it was uh i forget one of the guys the big ken casey or something one of the big acid guys is like you know you can do you can stop doing the acid but your brain will always remember yeah. you don't get that entrepreneurial side out of you so you still wake up every day like what is going on? And Mayor, I mean, you're in the cannabis industry. Everything is so gung-ho. Things are changing a mile a minute. So, I mean, luckily that, maybe if I was working for like Procter & Gamble, I'd have a much harder transition. Here it was great because everybody's, you know, from the sea level down, people are here from 6 a.m. until like 9 p.m., which, was, you know, that's a short day as an entrepreneur, um, which you're just like, all right, everybody's going gung-ho. I was in the software end, so we were developing packaging, but what we were doing was coupling it with these software solutions to retain customers, whether it be text marketing programs that you're integrating in your packaging, whether it's QR codes and digital drip campaigns that are funneling customers through your digital assets. Um, So that, you know, I was building all Merrimed's websites, handling the uh, vendor distribution models and things, which were a lot of programmatic things. So when I came on, uh, there was a need for somebody sort of running on the technical end, the leadership qualities that make you run a bit, those transfer seamlessly as long as, you know, you're not a jerk. I think a lot of people in the cannabis industry, if you're able to lead on your own, you can do it uh, elsewhere. So, you know, came on board and we started to identify, all right, we got these facilities you know, a big cultivation, uh, manufacturing and retail facilities. And there's, you know, the technology that's running it, but we have an opportunity to go really level deeper in terms of like cleaning up data, normalizing it, getting a standardization model across, and then really getting deep into some of these analytics. And these are, you know, cannabis data is now two years old, like Cannabis big data is something a lot of people said they had for a while. You look under the hood and, you know, they're saying we're aggregating 5% of total dispensaries. And you're like, can you say you're big data? You need like 40% to extrapolate anything meaningfully. So we're sitting there and, you know, we have a number of licenses. We started developing, you know, analytic models, uh, you know, revamping ERP solutions, as well as, uh, you know, just completely revamping some of the um, retail solutions. So we're operating from one sort of enterprise level tech stack and understanding, and then you're funneling it down to each market as the needs are dictated. And, you know, it was when I came on to Merrimed, I think there were about six people. Now we've grown to like 250 
Um, yeah, we're much bigger and, you know, we've acquired a number of our licenses that we were managing at the time. So we're growing like a weed, no pun intended. And uh, I was able to be there as sort of the software solution to scale us from a much more smaller, uh, you know, managed facilities to this enterprise level, you know, enterprise level cannabis holdings company that basically has, you know, uh, cultivation, manufacturing, processing. And then similarly, we have a number of brands. So like we own Betty Zetties, uh, Confusion, Born Baking Co., Nature's Heritage. And these are licensed and distributed in other states. So, you know, you're always up against different um, data accessibilities when you're not working in markets that, you know, you're managing the facility, you own the data set, you own the ERP. Uh, so we were up against some unique challenges that, you know, I was able to come up with technical solutions along with our tech team here uh, to be able to, you know, get some insights into how things are actually performing on the ground that, you know, is just driving, you're moving towards the right target as opposed to trying to hit a moving one. And that's, yeah, data is the name of the game in anything, you know, whether you're selling cannabis or toothpaste, if you don't know your customer, your sales and your costs, you'll never... We'll never be able to scale. Yeah, and it's it almost sounds like because we're so early in cannabis too, like like how you mentioned before, somebody who may have you know four or five percent of the data, they're like, oh yeah, we got big data. But it's because we're like the industry is so new. <laughs> so like, just imagine what it's going to be like when you do have the people who have 40, 50, 60 percent of the data, or you know whatever it may be. Those are going to be the winners because they're going to actually be able to to provide facts not just assumptions or opinions or kind of what different people are, are kind of spitting out based on their perspectives, but you're actually going to be able to see what's happening under the hood. And in my opinion, as you know, as an entrepreneur, and you're going to probably say the same thing, that information is priceless. Cause it's like they say, knowledge is power. But what if you have the wrong knowledge? What if you have the wrong information? Now you've got yeah. power, but you're heading in the totally exactly. direction. Your knowledge empowered you way down the wrong path, but so it's, you know, that's one of the biggest things. And, you know, we have, you know, a scale of facilities now that we're able to extrapolate meaningful data and inferences from just the analytics at our own facilities. So like, you know, we're operating now that I think I can't even, we may, I manage two dispensaries, grow processing in Delaware, uh, Massachusetts dispensary, Massachusetts grow processing, Maryland grow processing and then our three establishing our fourth Illinois retail store right now. So we have a number of facilities across the board, you know, range in every vertical and we have enough data to draw some meaningful insights across states, across markets. And that's coupled with, you know, industry data that's now getting more matured and actually reliable, you know, the headsets, the BDSs, are now actually getting these bigger troves of data that can be, you know, hold meaningful inferences. So you couple that and benchmark it against your own data. That's a big data set. You can really start to fine tune. All right, this is our path. You know, we don't, we're seeing the trend. You see which way price movements are, which way sales are fluctuating, quantities, categories, blah, blah, blah. And instead of, you know, I think in 2018, um, when there was kind of that big bubble and crash in cannabis, that was when nobody was dealing with data. You had investors that weren't particularly savvy. They weren't asking questions around costing when they were investing. They weren't even able to benchmark it against an established industry. 
And then you saw Canada flip legal. These valuations, you know, $5 billion valuations for four grows. They start selling it and they're like, you know what, cannabis is, now that everybody's licensed, it goes down to 2000 a pound. We raised all our money on selling 4000 a pound for the next 10 years. The economics of this facility are such that I got to pay, you know, God knows, hundreds of thousands a month. And this facility that's massive isn't even operable or profitable unless we hit a $3,000 a pound price. So the questions you couldn't answer before Canada went legal were answered. And I think finally people got pieces of the data and a lot of investors pulled back like, whoa, a lot of people sold a great story, but was not able to back it up with facts. Now we finally have the facts. And that was one of the things that, you know, coming on Merriman in 2018 and I seeing that about to happen. And as you're watching these poor guys not using a dynamic pricing model for their uh, sale of cannabis, you know, they're saying it's going to be 4,000 pound for the next 10 years. Yeah, like, all right, it's 4,000 a pound because you're the one grow licensed. It's not because you're growing 4,000 a pound marijuana here, but so these kind of things where you can spin a good story without understanding the context of how it fits into like an at-scale industry were answered. And then I think a lot of the savvy U.S. companies took that lesson and, you know, that's how we built all of our data models. That was to ensure the economics of everything we invest in match the actual, you know, potential revenue, return, blah, 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 blah. But it's not off of inferred stats. It's off of hard data. And where you find the hard data, that's always a question, whether it's your own or whether you have to go out and, you know, buy a database, a BDS, a headset. But you also have to ask the right questions. How much of the market are you penetrating here? What is, you know, the total market, your 20%. So we're saying we don't know 80% of the market. Okay, what does that 80% look like? How can I gather that data? And then you set your own sort of thresholds. And you know, I have my own sort of secret sauce of what I deem as reliable data. And that's what every systems director kind of bangs their chest on. Um, but you know, these are the things that will protect you from going down the wrong path. And the problem is when you go down the wrong path, you don't know it until a year and you're bankrupt. So it's like... These are big, big decisions that you invest the time beforehand to answer the big questions. And it's, you know, it's not sexy. It's tedious. It's data gathering, data normalization, a lot of SQL databases. Um, But, you know, it's ultimately what you got to do if you want to succeed. So that's kind of been our approach is look at the data, live the data, love the data. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) if you don't, you know, you're going to kind of shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, no, that's great advice and great insight. So when you, you kind of touched on a couple different aspects of what you and Mary Med are up to. Um, but if I were to ask you, you know, what is Mary Med and what do they do? What kind of problem or what kind of void do they fill in the marketplace right now? Um, for everybody listening, what exactly does Mary Med do and, and what are, what's their role in the cannabis industry? So I know uh, it's somewhat ambiguous to even me. The whole thing is that cannabis is sort of a path to wellness, whether it be mind, body, you know, holistic, and really taking that message of bringing wellness to everyone is the Merrimed mission. And we're hoping to heal the world with cannabis, but how that breaks down is to, on the brand side, you know, a lot of people, these 
bigger holding style companies, people will come with all these products. And basically these products are brands that we would potentially take on or benchmarked against these metrics of, you know, is it our Betty Zetties, for example, is all natural, all vegan. And one of the best, you know, we get these stories from people about how they're finally able to sleep at night, how they're really able to, just the quality of life is immeasurably improved. Um, and I know that that's not, as a data guy, that's very non-binary. That's not ones and zeros. That's tougher to infer. So that's why our sea level has been great in sort of basically identifying where is there an opportunity? How can we actually help those people within that opportunity? And where do our resources match up with what that opportunity is? And that's a long-winded politician answer, I know, and uh, doesn't really answer much. But what it breaks down to is basically taking on operations at different facilities to produce some of the best medicine or just cannabis products. Um, And that breaks down us owning facilities, owning retail. And then similarly in, you know, R&Ding and developing these products that are towards this high-minded goal and uh, putting them out in the marketplace, getting them to different markets and uh, continuing to try to just be the filter of good products sort of healing and a general sense of community and help coming from, you know, it's a corporate entity. So everybody's, you know, patting themselves on the back saying um, corporate uh, social responsibility and fewer doing it well, but, you know, it's at the core of a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is just assessing deals based on our ability to help those in the area, um, whether it be brands or facility based. And then, you know, in our own backyard, Massachusetts, where I'm based in Boston, spent oh yeah, a little glossary, lived in Nevada, brought headquartered Iroli in Nevada for two years. And we were very ingrained in that Nevada market, right, as it went recreational. And now we have our Betty's Eddie's licensed out there. Um, so it's, you know, this company trying to use cannabis as this tool to wellness and identifying the most effective ways to do that on sort of a deal-by-deal basis. What it breaks down to is essentially Procter & Gamble style. We own different retail distribution and brands, and those are measured and um, basically valued based on those, our ability to bring wellness to the world. And, you know, we've had plenty of deals that we've had to say no. You know, canvas industry, there's a lot of Jokers out there looking for a quick buck, and uh, yeah, none of them have passed the merit threshold yet. The great answer, and you said what you just what you just uh, touched on was that you've had to say no to a lot of deals, and you've had to say no a lot of times in order to to do what you guys are so focused on and to achieve that mission uh, centered around wellness. One question that I had for you, especially because of everything you've been able to accomplish. And it seems like you're involved in a lot of scale, scaling and a lot of growth and a lot of assessing. And so from your perspective, what are some of the biggest things that hold not just cannabis companies, but, but companies in general back from scaling and from growing? Like, has there been a common denominator that you see across the board? A hundred percent. First, you got the ego founder. The founder, CEO, who's sitting there wanting to be promoting themselves on Instagram more than they want to do the work. 
I mean, more often than not, and this is across the board, it's just a trend since, yeah. you know, I've been in all these different accelerators and stuff. And, you know, if you have a CEO or someone that isn't willing to sweep the floors too, you're going to fail right there. This is, if you're motivated by ego and things, you'll never get anywhere. Second, and that's especially in cannabis because a lot of people come in saying, you know, I got the greatest. Similarly, they don't have data. So you can go banging your stuff all you want, but that day is meant to be manipulated. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of the other things is get having the ADD, like sitting there saying, we need to chase this. We need to chase this and trying to get these one-off quick bucks when real success, it's not overnight. You got to slog at the same project for a year and a half, maybe two years delayed gratification. Cause, and the ADD I think is, uh, you know, I call it the shiny object syndrome. You're looking at, oh, we got this, we got that. It may not be our core competency, but we're going at a quick thing. And that is what will, you'll suck up all your resources chasing maybes. When, if you did your homework and you know the course you're on is right, you got to trust it. And, you know, you got to trust that, yeah, it may not work for two months. You know, when we were we found it. I roll. Me and my co-founder are living on a $25 a week food budget. So we're like, but we're doing what we know is working. We're seeing the success. We have our projections and we're basically benchmarking our success against what we projected. We'd have people come, be like, ah, we can make, you know, the most amazing little smoking product with you. And you're like, it, we have limited resources and it'll distract us from what we want to be at the core, really, uh, you know, a consumer goods company that also is bridging. And that was our thing was saying we bridge the gap between retail and digital. Anything we'd offer in distribution was tried online first and had to meet certain conversion metrics. If you convert online, you convert in person and being very fastidious about what defines success for you what it looks like almost on a number. You need to have quantifiable goals and it's great to have more, you know, quality, like quality versus quantity where they're, you know, a little more abstract in terms of, you know, the let's help the world with cannabis. Like that's a great goal. But if you ask a programmer like myself, all right, how do we break that down to the actionable, which I think is a lot of the job of leaders communicating your mission, your goals, into the actionable for your teams to actually uh, execute on. And, you know, the, the last thing is just not, Elon Musk, one of the best quotes is starting a company is like jumping off a bridge and chewing glass and hoping you just find a way out of the void. You gotta just commit. It's commitment. It's not, you know, there's any real entrepreneur, there's way, virtually no glamour for like years. And then, you know, now I got an office and stuff and it's nice, but the things to focus on is when you couldn't afford your car payment, when you couldn't, and like, you gotta be really honest and willing to express that. Cause you know, these people, a lot of people start companies based off this idea themselves and then their self will suffer. And all of a sudden their company suffers because they're not, you know, acting out of place of real, conviction out of a place of real you know drive and you gotta be mentally tough you just gotta you know you're gonna get punched in the face a lot and you gotta smile and if you can't do it and you're gonna get upset it's gonna be tough you know you know i won't lie i got mad plenty of times i was jumping up and down but 
there's nothing you can do about it. You can only control what you control. You tend to the garden you can. You don't boil the ocean. You have these achievable goals. You know, say your goal for the year, 500,000 in revenue. What does that break down to monthly? 500,000 divided by 12 is what? Like, I'm not a math guy. <laughs> anyway, that's why I use it. It does it for me, but whatever that breaks down. And then you say, all right, that's my monthly goal. What does that break down to weekly? That's your weekly goal. What does that break down to daily? And then you're putting that on a board and you're, I mean, if you want to see, I literally look at my one month, six month, 12. Uh, I have a one month goal, three months, six months, and 12 months. And I know it's in my chicken scratch handwriting. I'm a, I do stuff on computers, not on the wall. So, uh, But that's what you need to look at. And you need to break down these goals to very actionable, achievable things. And it gives you out of this ethereal, uh, you know, in a year I want to be here to today I need to be here to be there. And that's, you know, one of the, I mean, I write everything down every night before you write exactly what you got to do the next day. I mean, I think these kind of, the devil's in the details and it's boring, but it's what you got to do. You got to assess what did I accomplish today? Those accomplishments are based off of your 12 month goal. What didn't I accomplish? How do I get there? And that's tomorrow's goal. And you just keep it day by day. Otherwise it can get, you know, like we've talked about overwhelming. Like you can just be drinking from a fire hose. If you don't see that light or that path out, um, you know, a lot of people kind of crumble and not to say it's wrong. I mean, I've started plenty of businesses. I found out three months later, we're not a real business. <laughs> it's just a stupid idea of mine. But uh, yeah, that's where these sort of goals and metrics, they keep you honest and they keep you from, you know, ever convincing you, having you buy your own bullshit. You know, if you say, oh, we got featured in high times, that's great. But you don't even have enough money to meet payroll. So what are we doing? You know, and I know a marketer would probably have a different opinion of this. But uh, but I was just, you know, you got to have these goals that are going to get to the meat of what's going to help you succeed. Celebrate them. You know, make sure everybody's bought it. You got to, you can't like not, the whole just put your nose to the grindstone and never look up until you succeed. You'll go crazy. I mean, maybe the Elon Musk of the world won't. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm Elon Musk. But, you know, you got to, even if it's just, your team did a great job. You just get them pizza. They know you only have 10 bucks in your bank account. It's like, all right, my 10 bucks went to you because I really appreciate what you've done. And, you know, that's one of the things here on our tech team. We work like last night, my poor guys were up till like two in the morning wiring a facility in Illinois. And they're just going gung-ho. These are all guys that had their own business and the timeline because the state, you know, gave us a deadline about four days out. So you just have to jump too, but you know, when they come back, you take them skiing and you just be like, look, you, you know, you gotta appreciate everybody that's willing to sacrifice their time for you. And uh, similarly sacrifice your time for them. So that, I don't have any like good takeaway. That was just kind of a rambling note, but <laughs> if anybody can find any value in it, I think there's a few. Oh man, I took, I took notes for sure. <laughs> um, one thing, one thing that I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper on. Do you have any advice or any or any kind of tips for for hiring and building out a team? And it sounds like it sounds like you you've got some good insight, right? I mean, treating people like people. Yeah. At the end of the day, right? I mean, we're all we're all up to hustle and grind and put our nose down and 
you know, do what we got to do and cut our teeth. But at the end of the day, like there comes a point where you're going to burn if you don't come up for oxygen. So I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, on the leader end, it's not your job to just set the plan. It's your job to make sure it goes through. Like, you know, I don't have any kids or anything. So like one of my guys, he just had two kids and we got to get this project done. One of the softwares blew up with an issue and he's with his wife. You're like, look, I know it's your job, but your kid is going to remember you sitting at dinner. Merriman and I won't remember. Let me hop in. I'll do it. And that's what gets, you need to be the, have you ever heard of like stoic philosophy? Yeah. Like every, and it's also, um, what's the, you know, the Navy SEAL guy that's on all the podcasts. I can't remember his name right now. David Goggins. No, but it's one of David Goggins buddies. Um, I think I know who you're talking about, but I don't know. I don't know his name, but I I know exactly what he looks like. He's on all the podcasts, and it's basically as a leader, you're responsible for everything. If you have a bad hire, that's your responsibility. If the guy doesn't work out, that's your responsibility. It's called extreme accountability, and that's what you need to basically envelop. And as an entrepreneur, you'd say, I mean, I put myself in a position because guess whose name is on the company if it fails? Me. So it teaches you that, you know, with kind of your back to the wall, but you carry those values to the next, to the next uh, venture. And it, you know, allows you to build a team very purposefully. Like one of my biggest advices that's sort of pragmatic is do a SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunity, uh, whatever the, the last one was. And uh, of your current team and of your projects and do that with the people on your team to just identify, all right, where are gaps? You know, everybody's working 19 hours a day. What's the hire that will get everybody to work 10? And you gotta, you'll never answer everything on your own. You gotta rope your team into it. And then once you identify, all right, we need a QA tester on new software. We need a deployment engineer. And we are spending so much time supporting a printing issue. Okay, let's go. Here's a job description for each. And my biggest thing is I like to hire people who have had a business before. If it's failed, I don't care. You understand this sort of extreme accountability that, uh, you know, I think a lot of lame people that are in, you know, got in. This is, I don't know if you have an MBA or anything, but I know a lot of people that, have gone, you know, they did the college route, maybe did investment banking for a year, worked 90 million hours, and then got an MBA, but they never they never had to critically think their way out of just an issue that you could never foresee. You know, like we had $10,000 worth of stuff seized by customs when I was 18, and my mom got a letter from U.S. Border Patrol saying your son just tried to import paraphernalia. And, but that's the kind of stuff where if you you get your chops by cutting your teeth. Like there's no way to do it other than going through it. And there's nothing better than a person who's, you know, failed at starting their own business and comes in and you ask, what do you think could have helped? And just looking at their analysis of what would have helped, you can see how honest they are with themselves. Obviously you don't have the understanding of their business, but you can see their ability to identify opportunity and their ability to kind of, reconcile what happened and put an action plan together forward. And that's, you know, I think critical thinking is probably the rarest thing in today. And, uh, you know, we're age of information, we're desperate for wisdom. And 
you know, I think these sort of formative experiences where you put your back against the wall, I've never been in the Marines, but, you know, we've hired a number of veterans and just the sense of you get it done and the job isn't done until it's done. If I got to sit and do this, you know, if I got to go pull two other guys, it's on you to identify who you need, what it needs to get it done, and then we can hash out the rest. And, you know, I love our team has a lot of former entrepreneurs and veterans. And that's, you know, one of the biggest takeaways. And those are two groups. Obviously, it's a kind of generalization. But, um, you know, our team is at 100 percent retention right now. So we're pretty happy. And, uh, you know, I like to think everybody's happy. You can ask them yourself. And maybe they get it. <laughs> but, yeah, man, no, so that's, you know. I love entrepreneurs and vets and just people have gone out on their own line, sort of, you know, pick themselves up by the bootstraps and just said, I'm putting this all on myself. Even if you fail, you learn more than any degree that, you know, these various schools, I can't tell you how many new college kids I've interviewed that are, you know, asking for every, it's crazy. The difference between what they believe is, ownership of a project and what it actually is and uh no diss to every college kid still apply with us but you know make sure you're you're doing stuff on the side yeah i uh funny story too it's funny how you mentioned that so i do have an mba but i've always been entrepreneurial since like 14 and (laughs) one of the things that really stood out to me and i was waiting for this to happen but it never happened i'm going through the mba program and I'm waiting for a course to come up to teach me how to sell. <laughs> how ironic is that? Dude, it never happened. I'm sitting there and I'm like, the only course that I can look back on that actually helped was a corporate finance course that yeah. really like, and, and I think the reason that course was so damn good was not because of the course outline or the material or any of that. It was because the, the, the instructor was a, I think he was a head fund manager, but oh. he, he actually ran the deal himself. Dude. So I would pick his brain after class and that's where I would get all the meat and potatoes from the course. And I would just sit there and talk to him for 30 minutes. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't even mean to go down this path. And he's like, no, I love talking about this. How, and dude, so I had a very similar college experience. I went in with, uh, I was starting, uh, I went into UMass Amherst on an environmental engineering program started the business went to the open house was just non this woman's ear off who was like running the business uh seminar thing and i had really good sats and stuff and i was like look i really want to get into eisenberg which is pretty good business school she's like you know what i'm actually the dean i'll override it and you'll be in which normally it's like a two-year waiting process a whole ordeal so i get in with my compadre being the dean of them And, uh, but I have a business at the time and I've had to learn how to file my own taxes just because I didn't have a tax class. But when you have an entrepreneurial mindset and you're in a college setting, you have access to the greatest wealth and knowledge, but it's on you to take advantage. So I ended up, you know, two days a week sitting with my tax professor after class, we'd go get a beer, but I'd pick his brain about everything. And you have this absolute, and then I ended up doing what's called a BDIC, bachelor's degree with individual concentration where you have no major and you just get to pick whatever classes you want. Cause after one year I was like, look, the business school is good, but 
I'm taking 100 level courses and I'm been filing my taxes for two years. Like I'm taking a marketing class and your theory, you just said, I just tried it and it didn't work. So well, what do you want? Uh, I'm learning more on my own. So I did this one, but the whole thing was you had to, to get into any of the higher level courses, you had to get the professor to override the prerequisite requirements. So every class I had to take, you would select, and then I would go, so I would take a small parts plastics engineering course, and then I'd take a, you know, a international supply chain course. But you'd have to go to these professors, come to them with hat in hand, be like, look, I'm not just some guy asking to be in this class. I have a complete practical application of this. I am ready to like, like, I want to build a connection with you and draw all this information from you. I want you as an advisor. And it's the most ingratiating thing to, and a professor is like, oh my God, this kid has a genuine interest, a genuine application. And I can actually, you know, help, which like the greatest thing that helped us succeed was our board of advisors at IROL. We put together a great board of advisors and you have basically these sounding boards that have encountered almost every issue you have prior to encountering it. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So try to put the people around you that can answer that. Um, and, you know, you end up having these like real strong relationships with many of my professors I still talk to. One of them was the one who helped us write the uh, sale agreement for the business. Like, so that it's invaluable, but having that, it, the common thought is you just go through the motions and you're good. You have to be actively engaged, you know, have some sense of what either purpose or idea you want and attack it and use this as a resource to tackle it. Um, and I know these are kind of like aggressive analogies, but you know, I kind of see it. Dude, it's just, you're so like gung ho and kind of this close to things failing that, um, you know, things do feel that aggressive, but it's one of the best resources. And I don't think I really would have ever succeeded without me having gone to college and I graduated and everything. But um, these res these professors were the greatest resource I could have ever asked for. And uh, especially our, many of them became our advisors or they connected us with someone on our board of advisors. I mean, ironically, we actually got a <laughs> the redesign of a new rolling tray phone case as a senior design project for the mechanical engineers, because, you know, Raytheon would have them try to design a engine part. And these are like practical applications. And I was like, look, man, I, I got to know the uh, mechanical engineering professor. And he was like, this is cool. You know, you guys have a problem. We have people with skills that can do it. And it's a real application. So I got a team of five engineers, we had the uh, 3D printer at the library, the mechanical engineering team at like all of these different CNC machines and the things that I'd have to pay thousands to get access to. These guys did it for free. I mean, they're awesome. I'm still friends with them, but they designed it for school credit. We prototyped it. And this guy who was somebody I was just picking his brain ended up helping me iterate and design the whole second version of the product. So it's just the things that lie behind some of these doors you never know, and you don't know until you go knocking. If that grit and that innovativeness and resilience is what's going to make you unstoppable, like 
and at it, age 50. It's a thing that requires no education. It's like the I could never be a scientist without 10 years of studying. You can do make anything happen with just being like, look, you know, no, I'm not going to take this no for a no. I'm going to find a way around it. And keep more is rot with honey than vinegar. Always be kind, always be hardworking, and nobody's going to get mad at you. You know, maybe they'll be like, you're annoying, but plenty of people have thought that about me, but what's that? No skin off your teeth. So, I, I mean, yeah, the way we got into high times, ironically, this is a hilarious story. When uh, I was like 19 at the time, we had the product, we couldn't find an in. I harassed everybody on LinkedIn I could find that worked at uh, high times. None of them answered my messages, but I found this one woman who to this day is a gangster in cannabis she's got a podcast out in la her name's mary jane gibson mm -hmm. i saw she was the lifestyle editor at high times i'm trying to find a phone number because i'm like look if i can just finagle my way to her i can sell this i just need to get access so i'm you know trying to find this phone number i can't get it i have the address of the building i'm staying on a buddy's couch in new york where their office was i look in the phone book I see the phone number for the building, get to the front office, ask for the high times office. I had to tell a little white lie. I was like, hey, to the front desk lady who was high out of her mind. She was like, hello. I was like, hey. And I was like, you know, I actually got a meeting with Mary Jane Gibson at three and I may have to change it. Can you just put me through to her? Puts me through. And Mary Jane, I know I just told the white lie, but I got to be honest, I got a great product. I'm here in New York. I'd love to show it to you. I got free ones for you, blah, blah. She's like, this is great. I would love to. Come in, you know, and it, she says, come in in an hour. An hour later, I was in the High Times office, bumped into the CEO in the hallway. And you're just like, look, without that sort of, you know, just hard headedness, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. And, you know, ethically, maybe there were a couple gray lines there and telling some white lies. But, you know, how much do you want your vision or goal? So I don't know. But, yeah, that was one of the funniest ones. I remember walking out just being like wow, that's kind of, yeah, like I should be selling used cars or something. Come on. <laughs> Legendary, man. So listen, I, I want to be conscious of your time and, uh, and, you know, thank you for, for an incredible episode. Before we wrap up though, um, I just want to ask you what, if there's anything, you know, cool that either you personally or the whole team of Mary Med is up to for 2021 that you, uh, that you maybe wanted to take an opportunity to share with everybody. And then if you could just share with us, you know, what the best way for listeners to connect with you would be. Yeah, um, absolutely. That would be great. Awesome. So, you know, I know with Merimed being publicly traded, there are certain things I can't disclose or anything. So we're growing fast and we have plans to grow faster. Um, check the investment docs for any more info. <laughs> Um, I can tell you on the tech team, we are, so we've now built three custom software products. Um, you know, we use vendor solutions, but our team identifies the gaps between them. And we've developed a number of software that uh, we're sort of fine tuning at our facilities. And we're going to continue to develop a lot of custom software to be able to just answer these questions that lie in the middle of these systems. There's a lot of costing information that's not being captured. So, we're going to be developing a lot of really cool technology uh, specifically for the cannabis industry directly from the operators. So that is really exciting um, to connect with me. 
LinkedIn is the best. It's just Joseph Corey, K-H-O-U-R-Y, guy with two names, last one spelled funny, uh, two first names, sorry. Uh, and uh, on, I, like, I do a lot of, I do art on the side. I just sell prints of my artwork. I do a lot of, like, art. Um, so that's my Instagram. You'll probably find me on Instagram, but it's just a goofy art one. I'm building, making a whole website for professional stuff. But LinkedIn is the way to connect. Um, and would love to hear, you know, anybody's questions about the current state of cannabis software, love to answer any, you know, I've been doing this for three years now and still encountering the same issues. So I'm happy to scream it from the rooftops and save you guys some trouble before it happens. And, uh, yeah, we're kind of developing in the gap. So hoping to have some exciting updates there. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on this episode of the show and oh, i appreciate you thanks for having me yeah no this this was definitely a blast all right well that concludes this week's episode just want to thank everybody for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows hi y'all i'm joe host of casually baked the podcast If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.